0: And uh, before um, uh, I, I read the text, I, I want to pray. Um, I also want to s- say a couple of things too before before we read the text. One is, uh, you'll notice when when we read this test, this text, the number of times Jesus says, uh, "Don't be anxious," which. I, I, for many of you, I know, it is like if Jesus were to come to me today and say, "Steve, dunk a basketball," <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that's just not going to happen, right? Um, and it's it's never going to happen. And then uh, uh, there are some of us here this morning who actually love our anxiety. And we wouldn't know how to make it in life without our anxiety, because our anxiety is very dear to us. It helps us get up in the morning, right? And then there are those of us who struggle with a biochemical kind of anxiety, as well. And so, as we as we think about that today, I want to um, I want us to be clear. Uh, um, Jesus uh, is uh, not, um, he's very direct about the focus of our hearts and what leads us to anxiety. And his gospel sets us free from that. And so um, I pray today that as we read this text and think about this, that God would make us soft, um, uh, quick to confess our anxiety and quick to turn uh, to his answer to our anxiety. Uh, so before I read the text, let me pray. Father, we come to you today, and we count it a privilege, though we probably don't think about it that much, to call you Father. You're a good Father, uh, great and loving, kind and gentle, just and merciful. And so I pray today that uh, we would settle our hearts and our minds, upon that truth, as Jesus uh, tells us to in uh, this text today, pray that you would forgive us for uh, uh, thinking that uh, we're all alone and that uh, we uh, turn in on ourselves and our own resources as the only means uh, to make it in this world. Would you forgive us for that? And show us the lavish provision that you have made for us in Jesus Christ. So bless us now, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 6, uh, 25 through 34, text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, One of the things that I uh, have taken to to doing, since we have little kids at our house a lot now, is trying to cultivate uh, birds in our backyard, little birds, songbirds. Colorful birds, um, uh, not crows, uh, and uh, not not squirrels. I know they're not birds, but they get in the way of the birds. So um, on Tuesdays, which is my day off, you get a senior citizen discount at um, um, Southern States. And so I send Marty over there to buy stuff on Tuesday. Just kidding. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> uh, I... I qualify for that too, so I go over there on Tuesdays and buy uh, stuff for to feed the birds in the backyard. It's taken a while because uh, people in our neighborhood feed stray cats. Wow's right, you know. There's depravity everywhere in there, and so uh, you know. Uh, I, I, Just as a word, you know, cats are responsible for the extinction of a number of songbird species in North America. I'm not making that up. So um, uh, I have been feeding the birds, watching the birds, um, and uh, it occurred to me this week that I'm the instrument of God in those birds' lives that God is actually using me to feed the birds. And I wondered today, as I was praying about this this morning, if I should go tell the birds that I'm not God, as much as they might think that because of the good suet and the seeds I put out in my backyard, but that there is a God who made them and who is taking care of them. It's good for us to think a little bit about that, isn't it? I think, I find it interesting that Jesus, when he speaks to anxiety, points us to nature. You know, look at the birds, look at the grass, look at uh, look around you and see uh, the nature of this God, uh, who he is, what it is that he has done for us. Because the fact of the matter is, and, and uh, you guys uh, can go ahead and put my notes up, um, the command to avoid anxiety is a tough command, and it is a command, right? Uh, one of the things you have, we forget sometimes about the Sermon on the Mount is because Jesus is saying it. And you know, the Jesus that we create is this, you know guy who uh, is okay with everything. and uh, uh, when in fact, you know, Matthew's very careful to tell us Jesus goes up on a mountain, he sits, takes the seat of Moses. And he then gives to us the, uh, 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 explains to us the nature of the kingdom of God that he is bringing. And so as we think about that this morning, I think that's important for us to understand is Jesus takes our anxiety very seriously and he takes our uh, coldness of heart. Uh, toward him and turning in on ourselves and looking about the world and thinking that it is we are the only ones with the resources to deal with this because that's the way this works. The world's hard. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that, that Jesus doesn't say to us uh, to avoid anxiety because he's somehow or other going to make life easy for us. He doesn't tell us that we can avoid anxiety because everything's going to be fine. Ultimately it is. But the fact of the matter is, as we live in a world, as we honestly look at it and see the brokenness and the sin, see our own sin, see the uncertainty of so many things, the, the, when we've been sinned against and we sin against others, and when we see, honestly, how little power we actually have over much of anything in our lives, the, the, the tendency would be for us to turn in on ourselves. And what Jesus wants us to see is that as he comes... As he lives, dies, rises again, as he brings his kingdom, he wants us to rest in his goodness, rest in the grace of his Father, and trust him with our lives. And so, as he rounds out this part of uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's important for us to kind of think about what it is, the big picture is of what he's saying here. Because Jesus begins this text with, therefore, which tends to mean, you know, what, what came before that? Well, verse uh, 24, before verse 25 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, right, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So what Jesus is saying here is, at the very outset of this is, there are a number of masters out there that would compete for your heart. There are a number of masters out there that would compete for your affections, compete for your your very life. And Jesus is saying uh, you can't serve two masters. So the, the corollary to that is if God is your master, if you are his servant, and as he will say here, if you are his child, but if you belong to him, then you can trust that he will care for you. Because in the economy of the first century there, a, a servant was not responsible for their clothes. <clears throat> they were not responsible for what they ate. Their master was responsible for that, was to take care of that for them, was to provide all of those things for them. That was the master's responsibility. So if, if Jesus, uh, if we belong to him, then the onus of providing for us is on him. Now, he does that through all sorts of earthly means. But the fact of the matter is, he tells us that so that we can rest in the knowledge that because we are his and, and he is ours, we can trust him to provide for us and to give us uh, exactly what it is uh, uh, that he uh, uh, desires for us to have. He does say, after all here, that he knows what you need. He knows what you need better than you do. He knows what you need he knows that we need clothing and food and, and these sorts of things. He's very well aware of that. And so those things don't catch him off guard. And so what Jesus is trying to get us and the followers there on the side of the mountain to hear is we can trust our Father because he's a good master. And we can trust our Father because he's a good Father. And if he provides this way in nature, how much more will he provide for us? Next slide. Uh, Uh, The other question that you have to ask here is, is not only who is my master, but what is it that I am seeking? And Jesus is going to address that for us, right? He's going to say those immortal words about seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness and these things will be added to us. Um, But the fact of the matter is for many of us and for most of us and for uh, a lot of the way we think about our lives, we look for security, we look for prestige, we look for good health, we look for comfort, we look for money, and if these things become the things that we seek and the things that become our master, then it's like drinking seawater, right? We, we're just going to get more and more thirsty. We will never, ever, ever feel secure. We will never feel rich enough. We will never feel prestigious enough, or that our reputation is secured. We'll never feel comfortable enough, right? Because the way the world works, there will always be something or someone that threatens that. Several years ago, there's a there's a great uh, speech. Uh, you could read it on the internet from a guy named David Foster Wallace. He gave it at a at a uh, commencement at um, is it Kenyon uh, College or it was one of those. Uh, uh, Midwest Ivy League schools, uh, he did this in 2005. Wallace is not a Christian, not, not remotely so, but he's talking to college graduates about kind of what to give their lives to, and one of the things he said was, the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive, Right? If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never uh, feel you have enough. Uh, uh, John D. Rockefeller, pro- perhaps the richest man who ever lived. The, some of the pharaohs might have had a little more than he did, but the, the richest man who ever lived was asked one time, you know, how much money is enough? And he said a dollar more. A dollar more. I like that guy. He's, he's, he's an honest man. Worship your body in beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. This is pretty pertinent to what's happening in the world right now. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, and you'll end up feeling like a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, unless, of course, you're the smartest guy in the room, right? Right? But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious, they are default settings. It's the air we breathe, it's the water we drink. He goes on to talk about us like living uh, in an aquarium, right? The fish in the aquarium, they don't, they don't know anything else. It is that, that, That's their world. Well, this is our world, right? Jesus knows that about us. We live in a world that is full of insecurity, full of things to make us afraid full of those things. And what Jesus is getting at here, he's not saying to us that, that there's never any place to be concerned or anything like that. But what he's saying is, what is the heart? What is the root of your life? What is the thing that moves you? Where, what is the orientation to, to, of your heart as you think and live in a world that is broken? Because if you're all, your default is always to fall back on yourself or your own achievements or your own wits or your own gifts you're always going to feel less than because you know, you know your own weaknesses and your own shortcomings. Next slide. So uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, as we, as we think about this, we have to kind of think about then, well, what is it then that I am gonna look at? What is it then that I am gonna bank my life on? What is it then that is gonna be the animating feature of my life? Because the fact is, we, we, something will be. Someone will be. Uh, and, and, and that's really the issue that Jesus is getting at here. Um, and, I, and let me just, I want to be as, as clear about this as I, as, I, as I can be this morning. I want you to know, if you don't already know this, that we live in an anxious, anxious age. Maybe, maybe the most anxious time uh, in a while. What seems certain, what seemed to be the kind of the established order of things has been overturned. And it's continuing to be overturned. And I'm not talking just about $6 gas. We're just on the front end of seeing how the world has changed. And... You know, we kind of live, many of us live these lives where we we spend a lot of our time and energy trying to insulate ourselves against this. You know, Jesus told the parable one time of a guy who filled his barns up and needed more and said, I'll tear those barns down and build bigger barns. And, you know, I I, I can rest in this because of my big barns. And he entered eternity naked and poor. So the fact of the matter is, the, 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 the truth is, nothing could be better for us to think about than our anxiety. And in the midst of that anxiety, where's God? Because that's what Jesus is getting at here, is that if the Father above is clothing the grass and taking care of the birds and, and that sort of thing, and we are created in his image and Jesus makes us his children, then... We can rest. Uh, there's a movie out now on Netflix, and I know this is dangerous, so dangerous, and uh, to say this, but uh, it's a movie that I would recommend uh, you watching. Marty and I watched it last night called The Bombardment. It's a true story of uh, near the end of World War II. Um, the uh, underground resisting the Nazis in Denmark was falling apart. And uh, the underground in Denmark uh, called on the British uh, Air Force to come and take out the Gestapo headquarters in Copenhagen. And so they decided to do that. Uh, as they, uh, they do that, they're going to fly in in the daytime just over the rooftops. I mean, literally, just over the rooftops. And the, one of the things the movie does is it does a great job of, you, I mean, it makes you want to, It make it, you feel like you're, literally jerking like this right over the ground. They would come in in three waves and take this building out. Flying in, one of the planes clipped an antenna and crashed into the courtyard in front of a Catholic school and church, full of little girls. So the second and third wave, as they're coming in, they see the smoke rising from that church, and they think that's the target. And they bombed the school. True story. Um, 86 little girls died. A whole bunch of nuns. And I don't know if this conversation actually happened or not. There is a a little girl uh, who had been asking in her theology class earlier in the week, you know, if God's always with us, how come we're in a war? If God's always for us and he sees us, has he gone out to get a cigarette? Is he, is he taking a nap? What, what, what's going on here? And the, uh, Saint, uh, the, the, the nun who's teaching the class gives a pretty lame answer to that question. I'll let you watch the movie to, to see that. But the nuns take the, the children uh, into the basement when they realize they're under attack, and the basement collapses on them. And uh, uh, this nun is talking to one of the little girls. She can't. He can't see her, but the basement where they are is filling up with water. And the little girl says, uh, the water's rising. And the nun says, well, lift your head up. She's like, I've got it up as high as I can get it. And the nun says, well, uh, the Lord will take care of us. And then the little girl says, is Jesus waiting for us? Right? And the nun says, yes. And that's the last they talk. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, we're, we're in a mess, and we could, you know, kind of th- turn in on ourselves and turn out against uh, enemies, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but the fact is, what Jesus says to do with your anxiety is to throw it on him, to seek him, to turn these things that seem like they would be our undoing to him and to trust him with our lives our livelihood, with our legacy, with our health, with our futures. Now, the, the fact of the matter is, as, as we do that and as we, as we think about this, I think it is important for us to understand a little bit about this. Then if, 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 if this is what I do, is, is it just like throwing myself at Jesus because I'm an anxious person? This week, I, um, over the last couple of weeks, I've I've had this thing happen to me, it's happened to me before, uh, and it's uh, my eyelids twitch. You ever have that? And I remember, I'm like, oh, I've had this before, and I go on WebMD, like, you know, like a good, you know, modern person does, and I'm reading about it, like, what is it at again? Because I think, is it because I'm drinking too much coffee? Because that could be it. No, it's stress. It's stress, right? Uh... And so as, uh, uh, as I did that, I thought, well, you know, I just need to de-stress a little bit, right? And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to de-stress. Watch me de-stress. Right? So what Jesus doesn't say to us is de-stress, and he doesn't say let go and let God. What he says is, seek me and my kingdom. Seek my kingdom and its righteousness. It's not that we, it, and, and what does that mean? Well, what, what we do when we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, it's very simple, is we know that the kingdom of God, we know that the righteousness of God uh, given to us, demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ is something otherworldly, right? And so, it is, it is when we see truth, when we see beauty, when we see righteousness, when we see people love their enemies, when we see people serve the poor and the the downtrodden, when we see the truth of the gospel proclaimed, we can say, there's the kingdom of God. We can say that God is at work. We can say and believe and be re-reminded again that he has not left us alone, that he's actually at work in the world, and that we lean into that and that we trust that. Jesus is saying to us, listen, he will build his kingdom. We don't build his kingdom, right? Next, next slide, please. We don't. We simply announce his kingdom. We seek his kingdom by looking for it and, and, and trusting and praying for it, we receive his kingdom, we bear uh, a witness to it, and we can build for it, but we don't build his kingdom. Jesus is building his kingdom, and as we live and work and tr- trust ourselves to him, when we see the righteousness of God having its impact in us and in others, we can say, there's the kingdom of God. I'm for that. I support that. I want to see more and more of that, Right? But Jesus doesn't even lay on us the responsibility to build his kingdom. We pray for his kingdom to come. But that's, that, that, is the, that is the antidote, the active antidote to our anxiety is to look for, to pray for, to seek the righteousness and the rule of God in our lives and in the lives of others. That's what we long for. And as we do that, and as we entrust ourselves to that, we're we're no longer throwing ourselves back upon ourselves for our own resources or our own wits or our own ability to make it in this world. We believe that it's God's world and that He will have His way, and we trust that. And we take Jesus at His word that He has lived, died, and risen again for us. We belong to Him. He will provide for us, but not only will He provide for us, not only will He see us through, but he will do his work in his time, in his way, in this world. We can trust him with that. Listen, um, it, is, uh, it is a hard thing, isn't it, in the midst of the uh, situation that we find ourselves in, uh, to hear the words of Jesus and him putting his finger right squarely on our anxiety, I mean, for many of us, anxiety feels righteous, right? When in fact, what Jesus wants us to do is to take these things that seem to threaten us, that would seem to be our undoing, to turn towards Him and trust Him with those things. Because He's good, He's powerful. And his shoulders and his heart are much bigger than ours, and they can bear the burdens that we never could. The disciples prepared the passage.